Hugh Freeze coached at Liberty for three years, he definitely has met Satan before. This is Chapel Bell Curve, a podcast about football and feelings. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today we're here to talk about the undefeated number one team in the land, Georgia Bulldogs' latest matchup against Ball State in the heat with the sweat. A, I think, unequivocal win after after a very frustrating first (laughs) quarter. The Ball Brothers with the sweat in the heat. Yeah. Dead. Well, you know, when the Ball Brothers are in the heat there is often sweat involved has been my understanding so if this is your first time listening to one of our review episodes today we are going to be talking about the game from both a qualitative and quantitative standpoint we'll be breaking down our experiences and talking about feelings and some news updates and going around the league in our qualitative standpoint in our quantitative segment we'll be talking about stats and observations that we had from the game itself so let's start out with the news of the day Newsies. Put on your Christian Bale cap and get ready to unionize. So, Lad McConkey <laughs> didn't play, uh, which is a huge which bummer. He's apparently still having pretty bad back spasm issues, some kind of back issue. That's pretty much the only UGA note I could find. Almost luckily, there was no like arrests or anything. It's sad that that's the situation that we're in, but any time that we don't have an arrest for speeding, I'm very happy. I guess the only thing I else that I wanted to talk about, and I hesitate to even talk about this, but it feels like we have to, is the Mel Tucker stuff. <clears throat> we don't tend to move away from stuff like this. So that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's not that I don't want to talk about it because I don't think it's important. It's just like, sucks, man. Mel yeah. Tucker, former coach at UGA, former UGA defensive coordinator and current Michigan State head coach, was accused of sexual harassment by a sexual harassment uh advocate i think you would you would call brenda tracy is a she's a prominent rape survivor and activist is how she identifies i know that brenda tracy has spoken at uga i remember when she came through this was maybe in uga's second or third year and from the clips i saw pretty powerful message it of course has pretty predictably gotten super messy on the internet about it the facts as we know them are that Brenda Tracy has accused Mel Tucker of unsolicitedly masturbating while they were on a phone call together without her consent. This went through a Title IX investigation, and now currently I believe that Mel Tucker has been suspended without pay and has lawyered up. As they continue to investigate. Yeah. So, you know, he released a statement today that contradicted his previous statement to the Title IX investigator. I don't have any inside information with this particular Michigan State process, but I do know that based on what I have experienced in terms of Title IX and equal opportunity offices in the past at other institutions, that these sorts of accusations don't become public just on a whim. And if there was a Title IX investigation, that is some indication that there was some kind of evidence here. You hesitate to go off half-cocked, but it's like, if this is true then Mel Tucker needs to be fired. Yeah, it's it, it's a pretty shitty situation. And it's, I mean, I don't think there's any precedence for Tracy going out and doing this sort of thing. So I don't, it, it, it would be, it feels far-fetched for this to be completely fabricated. Um, and 
that, that's really all I have to say about it. Other than if, if y'all don't know about Brenda Tracy, then it's really worth checking out her uh, nonprofit, Set the Expectation. It's very neat. She goes around and speaks to athletes and coaches all over the country and talks to them about what is and isn't um, sexual harassment, because that is something that we still unfortunately have to talk about today. What is and isn't sexual harassment? The whole situation sucks. It bears saying at this point that like, don't fucking do this. Mm -hmm. I don't really, I wish I had a more cogent line of thought than that. I don't think that it should be a woman's job to teach you not to sexually harass or assault her. You're an adult. We'll see. I'm sure that this will play out. I have a suspicion that this is probably going to end in Mel Tucker's either firing or agreeing to resign. I'll give us a, like a segue that's still related, but it's moving out of like a super serious area is like every time that I have an opportunity to bring this up, I like to bring it up. It's the it's the rock test. It was from an article from years ago. It was like, if you're having a hard time knowing what is and isn't sexual harassment, ask yourself, would you say or do this to Dwayne The Rock Johnson? <laughs> and if the answer is no, <laughs> then don't do it to anybody. <laughs> yeah. Pretty standard. I know that's a little that's changed a little bit too. I actually mentioned that not too long ago. And some folks that I was talking to were like, yeah, I would do that to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And I was like, no, that's not, you're missing the point. <laughs> So before we dig too deep into this Ball State game, which there's not a whole lot to dig deep into, let's look around the league. Uh, what what kind of things happened around the league, Nathan, that we're excited to talk about? All right, hold on. <laughs> I don't, I'm gonna make my <laughs> get mic. it ready. Get it ready. I'm gonna make my mic cut on this one. Hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em horns. Hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em, hook 'em horns. Texas beat Alabama. They sure Which did. Which is good for us because anytime Alabama loses, an angel gets its wings. Not a lot of angel, not a lot of new <laughs> angels in heaven. The current angels are mm-hmm. overworked because Alabama has been winning so much. What are angels doing for a living? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, my question is, what are the like purgatory angels doing? Like the Clarences of the world who don't have their wings? Mm. Are they all helping people going through midlife crises? So yeah, it's good from a moral standpoint because Alabama losing is good. But it is also good for us from a bragging standpoint because that gives us the longest home winning streak in the it nation does. right now. Our last loss was in 2019 to actually our <laughs> this week's opponent, the University of South Carolina oh Gamecocks. One of the most depressing losses I've ever experienced in Sanford Stadium. And that's yeah. saying something because I was at yeah. the 2011 blackout game against Alabama. Man, the 2019 South Carolina game was the one where Books for Keeps was invited onto the field. <laughs> Oh, I remember that. I was I so excited. I took a picture and I was like, oh my God, it's Justin. And then we lost and I was like, oh, it's Justin. Uh, it was me. I did this. He it's did it. Fault. I did it. I got to say the Texas Alabama game was very exciting though. Mm-hmm. It felt like an NCAA classic. Like the first half was, it was so good. It was so close the first half. And the second half, both teams were like, oh, we got to score points to win. And then they just went point for point and point for point until Alabama was like, just that's all the points we have. I'm just a little baby. Like, I don't have any more points to spend. I think Texas sort of, this is wild to say, like outpowered them, just kind of mm-hmm. physically outdid them there towards the end. If you look at the win expectancy chart, it's a pretty close game until like the third and fourth quarter. And then it stops being a close game. Kind of the same, the same deal with EPA added. This was a game that the net success rate, which is a pretty boilerplate standard way to just see how big of a win you had. The net success rate was actually pretty close in this game. But mm-hmm. if you look at the deeper stats in this game, I'm, I'm not going to say that Alabama like won it running away. I mean, it was a 10-point win, and it was probably 
a little bit closer than 10 points, but Texas had a 15% available yards advantage. They got 65% of their possible yards and Alabama only got 50. They had a net EPA advantage. They had an EPA per play advantage of 0.1, which is decent. They had, you know, an EPA drop per dropback advantage that was really big, a 0.37 to 0.02, which is massive per dropback. They were actually less successful on the night than Alabama. They only had a 36% success rate, but they were very, very explosive. They had 13% explosive plays by EPA as opposed to Alabama's 10. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a total blowout by Bama, but it was like a pretty convincing wing uh, win, I would say. Like there was no accident. Like that was absolutely yep. Texas's game to win. And I think they earned every bit of it. And I, I just loved the way the game ended at the very end there. Like if I was an Alabama fan, because I feel like this has happened to us as Georgia fans in the past. It's just a letdown of the end. Like the very end bit, the reason why, like they ran out of all timeouts, Alabama did. And then they got an offsides call and ran the clock down. Like the last four minutes mm-hmm. were just running the clock down. <laughs> and that sucks to be on that side of that ball. Let's talk about another very funny result in the SEC West. Texas A&M mm-hmm. 33, Miami 48. I am shocked to hear that a coaching staff that has both Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino on it is dysfunctional. <laughs> That's crazy. I love – here's some things I love. Texas A&M was basically spotted a 14-point lead off of special teams miscues and turnovers from Miami and then mm-hmm. went on to lose by 14 or 15. That's deeply, deeply funny to me. Bobby mm-hmm. Petrino is Texas A&M's uh, offensive coordinator and deserves to lose every game because he's a bad every person. Game. Jimbo Fisher clearly has not changed this offense. The offense is nope. still dumb, stultified NFL. Well, no, not NFL bullshit. The NFL actually runs interesting offenses now, like the NFL from 2010, kind of. I also find it to be deeply hilarious that Jimbo Fisher, the $100 million man, is just slamming out so gloriously. I mean, they can still win a bunch of games this this year, and they very well could win the SEC West based on what happened in Tuscaloosa this weekend. But it's just really funny to me. Texas A&M's continued like hundred billion dollar war chest, like war machine that just leads to a seven and five season. Any other games you want to talk about? Let's say just real quick that Auburn's bad. Auburn's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. They are so, so bad. <laughs> That's all. Like. I watched just a little bit of that game and I was like, I can't watch this game. I don't hate myself enough. It's almost like that Hugh Freeze can't get Jesus to answer his phone calls anymore. <laughs> Hello, Jesus. It's me, Hugh. Like, yeah. nope. Mm-mm. He's got the Google, uh, like the pixel screen now. Mm-hmm. And so he has to actually, it's like the person you are calling has a Google <laughs> screen call uh, effect in place. It's like, Hugh. Jesus is like, Hugh, I will, I will cure your soul and I will forgive you of your sins, but we're not talking about football anymore, big dog. Yeah. I already died for you, bub. Yeah. I died for you. That's enough. You're going to talk, you're going to have to talk to Satan for the rest of it, Hugh. <laughs> what else do you need? <laughs> Hugh Freeze coached at Liberty for three years. He definitely has met Satan before. In other news, SEC West is wrecked. It's, it's absolutely just, it's a mess. It's totally a mess. In Mississippi State barely won. Auburn's bad. LSU is still fine. Alabama has a lot of question marks, I feel like <laughs> Ole Miss mm-hmm. squeaked by in some ways, uh, but it's probably still like the most, you know, formidable opponent we have uh, on our schedule from the SEC West. Mm-hmm. But 
it's it was just a messy a messy weekend for the SEC in general, but specifically the West. Somehow the SEC West was propped up by the state of Mississippi for the first time in the history of anything. The state of Mississippi raised the average of success. There was a lot of stuff that happened outside of the SEC this weekend in college football, but the one, you know, sort of vaguely UGA related note was that the JT Daniels Renaissance yes. has started. I'm kind of joking because I don't know that JT Daniels is that good, but he is currently, if you haven't been keeping up with his many, many transfers, he's currently the quarterback at <laughs> Rice, and he led Rice to a 43-41 to 41 upset of Houston this weekend, which double is overtime. a big deal. In double overtime, but still a big deal for Rice. Yeah, I watched this game. JT Daniels is, is definitely the best part of this team. <laughs> it's, it's weird watching football that isn't sec football it isn't georgia football because mm-hmm. it just it looks like a different game and this definitely looked like a different game uh, a different sport entirely you know uh but jt daniels is he's doing all right he did it i mean i really think that he won that game for them yeah he was 32 46 for 469 yards three touchdowns an interception two sacks taken and 86.5 xqbr he had 0.42 yards or 0.42 epa per play 20 point epa uh, added total and his success rate is 52%. He actually had a negative 5% win percentage added because of the interception and the sacks taken. But ultimately, <laughs> that's like, that's kind of a misleading stat because he is the reason they won the game. We're, we're, we're rooting for you, buddy. You and your good mustache. It's got a little greasier, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when, when you move to a private school, I imagine that your mustache wax budget goes way up, you know? Uh, way way up yeah hit me with uh what what are your what was your experience this weekend oh or i can start and, and give it to you because yours is actually football experience and mine was out and about on the town <laughs> uh so yeah just Justin was on the town i went to amici amici was great uh i had some wings had some fries and whatnot i expected to get downtown to amici and it would just be absolutely packed Downtown was surprisingly quiet. It was not a problem to get a table. There were many empty tables. Uh, I was just a couple tables over from these, uh, like, they had to have been, like, undergrad college girls who were telling some wild stories of their promiscuity. And that is not me saying, uh, shaming their promiscuity. It is me saying that's just the fact of what it was. (laughs) And I'm not going to dox them. I'm going to say, good on them. Go get it. I believe in you, um, and I love the stories you're telling out there. That's all I'm going to say. I won't dox them by saying the whole story, but it was a good story. I'll just say that. I drink my typical beer per quarter. Great time. I'm usually a, a one beer per quarter kind of guy. Around the third quarter or so, I got a little squirrely, went over to Starland for the fourth quarter and played some duck pin bowling while we watched the fourth with my friend Becca. And uh, after that, went home and watched some more football. I read some. It was an easy night in. I have uh, gotten into Akatar. I read the first Court of Thorns and Roses. It was awful. I hated it. It was terrible. But everyone says you have to read through it to get to the second one. And it's great. The second one is actually really good. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it. And It's really funny because I was at the lake with you not two weeks ago as you were reading the first Akator novel. And you were just livid that you had to read it. You were livid. It's so bad. It's such a bad book. and it- I'm really glad that the experience has turned around for you. It has. I'm really enjoying it. I'm reading that, and um, I also spent the weekend getting into the Wheel of Time. Finally, like the 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 books themselves, and so the first four or five chapters of the first Wheel of Time book are like 
a warm bath to me. Like whenever it's cold outside and I'm kind of feeling a little blue at the turn of the seasons, I crack mm-hmm. back open Wheel of Time. The first arc of The Eye of the World is just so soothing to me. There's something about the vividness of the description and the little village and all the characters are just so yeah. finely drawn. I got to say, it's funny, like objectively speaking, it is a lot of description, but I have never once so far been bored of the description. But if I were to tell you about it, it would be incredibly boring. <laughs> but you know, Robert Jordan had a really good editor who was his wife, who was never afraid to tell him to shut the fuck up. So I feel like the yeah. stuff that made it through is really the best possible stuff in terms of his imagery. Yeah. And he has, he has a real he's a real talent talent for evocative imagery. Anyway, we're getting off track. Mm-hmm. He does. Anyway, yeah, th- that's my football and that's my feelings. So what about you, Nathan? Let's see. It was really early. I got up at 5. I should have gotten up at 4.30. I was actually kind of late getting up at 5. I got over to the practice field. We practiced. It was really funny. We practiced from basically like 6 to 7.30 or something. And at like 6.30, the lights at the practice field went off because they were on a timer. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't too dark to practice or anything, but it was this like beautiful purple, orange, golden hour. This like just gorgeous, like unreal, magical realism haze of a of a band practice. And I took a couple of pictures, but they didn't fully capture like the lighting conditions that just made it seem like it was like the way it is when you were a kid and you get up on Christmas morning and all the lights are out and it's just like the gray winter light, the natural lighting of that golden hour. It was like that, but for summer or autumn. Mm-hmm. It was really gorgeous. I don't know why I'm talking so much Ugh. about this. It was just I Football was very moved by dude. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a capital R romantic, so I had to I had to talk about it. It it then was balls hot. Heh. It was so hot, dude. I had to go into the stadium into the shade for a minute. We had some kids have some problems with the heat, which is totally normal. I mean, of course we did. Mm-hmm. I thought that the the Redcoat band played a very good show, and then the Franklin, the new dean of the Franklin College, came over and talked to them, and for the second week in a row. I made a very loud noise on a very expensive sound system. Except this time it was like a $50,000 sound system instead of a $100 million sound system or whatever. This week, the Battle Home Solo was great. It was great the first week. It wasn't about the Solo's fault. But the Battle Home Solo was great. But then, so the dean, the new dean of Franklin College wanted to come down and talk to the band after the thing. So we have a really nice sound system that we mic our front with. And it's a, a really nice Yamaha digital board like it's a mixing a full professional mixing board that was probably like twenty five thousand dollars and then two really good speaker carts with subs and then two channel speakers and so we took one of the speaker carts and then this whole mixing cart over there so we could hook up uh we have like a wireless audio pack for it so we could give it to brett to give to the dean who would then talk on it right so i give brett the, Mm -hmm. the wireless pack and i have the i have everything turned off like Everything's on, but the levels are off. Everything's turned down or muted. I give it to Brett, and I'm like, I I just checked this. I saw the levels coming through fine. Just take this. So he goes to talk to the dean for a few minutes, and in that time, the the pack that he's he's using turns off automatically because there hasn't been any input, right? So Mm -hmm. he's over Mm -hmm. there as she's about to talk, and he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, like I can't hear it. Like, is this thing on?" So I turn the I turn the main audio on. And he's like, I still can't hear it. And I'm like, hold on, let me turn it off. And then you should check to see if the wireless pack is on. And he didn't wait for me to turn 
the power back off. So then he turned the wireless pack on and he was standing like two feet from the main speaker and it, it popped at loud enough that it like would like got like a physical reaction from the people around it because the wireless pack came back on and then immediately feedback back through the board. And it was an audio nightmare. Anyway, I am, I am a demon for audio everywhere. I make mouth sounds on this podcast. I, Almost destroy million dollar speaker systems. I consistently, I'm just, I'm bad for audio quality wherever I. An audio gremlin. I like to think of myself as like audio Mothra at the very least. I might not be audio Godzilla, but but it was it was a really good day. We had to move the Sousa show from where we've had it in the past over at the Tate Bridge over to. We are now at the Circle of Honor next to the flagpole in front of New Tate, and it's a really nice place. It was way better actually. It's really beautiful kind of setting for the Sousa show. It's right where they have all the like honor society plaques up in the grassy area between new Tate and the Tate deck. So come on by and see us this weekend. Come on. And they played a really good show made a horrible, horrible decision. And I parked in the IM fields in the morning because I was running late, but that then meant I had to walk from the back of Sanford all the way to the IM fields. And I'm sure you've experienced this as a fellow old man. I have a bad ankle and the bad ankle has gotten to the point where it has now caused me to have a heel that hurts. It's apparently a very common Ooh, thing. Yep. Just ice it and wrap it up or whatever, you know, like was the answer that I got, which is great. I'm glad it's not a serious thing or whatever, but I was just walking back down river road after the game. Just, I felt never felt more my age. Cause I was just like, <laughs> this is a one mile walk. And it took me like 20 minutes hobbling just trying not to touch my heel to the ground but yeah i mean it was a really good day other than my body which was quickly falling apart due to the vagaries of entropy it was i I really enjoyed it i'm really glad it was a good weekend it felt very chill very easy very fun all around so let's talk about numbers and our experiences watching this game I feel like we can probably just kind of go back and forth and talk a little bit about all this. Just, I feel like this game compared to the first game, we got a little bit more out of this one. We got to see a little bit more about what to expect, but the big issue is still that we have a lot of big names, big players that are on, uh, on the bench because they're, they're hurt for one reason or another. And we're seeing some strange things because of it. It is one thing that I wrote down here. Offense looked a little rusty and looking at all of the crazy things we're doing in the backfield to sort of, it feels like overcompensating when one of your muscles aren't working properly or one of your mm-hmm. things, like for instance, your ankle and your, your heel, like, um, we have all these running backs out. And so we're doing all these crazy sweeps and these fancy arounds and we're going to need to block better. You know, (laughs) if we're going to be doing all these things, we're going to need to be, our receivers need to block better, you know? And I think that one of my biggest takeaways from this game is I'm really feeling the hole that Darnell Washington left behind. Um, But I'm, I'm getting too deep into like my, this is like a qualitative quantitative thing right now. So I don't want to get too deep into it before we talk about what you've got prepared for us. I do have a qualitative note to start, which is that, Makai Muse, he's a walk-on. How is he a walk-on? Pay this man his money. He should be on scholarship. We love him. I have up I'm upgrading him from tiny fast boy to tiny swole fast boy. He's 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 uh, he's past the regular power level of a tiny fast boy. He's on to tiny swole fast boy. He's actually blocking pretty well at this point. 
he had the third highest grade of any of all run blockers among wide receivers this weekend, which is pretty good because we had some problems with run blocking in our wide receiver core. Okay, so maybe this is going to be a, bo- a bone of contention, but I actually feel pretty good about where the offense was. Obviously, it was a slow spark. You hate to have no points in the first quarter, but then you score 31 in the second. I mean, turnover aided, but still. I think that things do look out of sorts. I think your analysis that, you know, the sort of the it, the muscle analogy was a good one. And I think that you were right that injuries at key positions, I think we really thought we were going to have Branson Robinson this season and we're still kind of adjusting to not having him and not having Dejon Edwards is still a huge problem. But I think Carson Beck's good. I think he's a good player. And I know that among not just you and I, but among UJ fans writ large, that that might be a hot take, but he was really good this weekend. He had an he had a, I mean, it didn't always look pretty, but he's really good. He had an 86 adjusted, uh, an 86% adjusted completion percentage, which is basically the giving him credit, not just for the balls that were caught, but the balls that should have been caught. I thought even his interception was either an uncalled pass interference or just a miss like that should have been caught. I think that, you know, offensively, I think you the biggest problem is run blocking. I pulled the run blocking grades. They're not good. They're not good all the way around. They're particularly not good in the wide receiver core where I think even, I think that if you put them on true serum, that Kirby would tell you that even though Brock Bowers is a willing blocker, he's not a consistent blocker. And I don't think mm. Oscar Delp has really learned the ins and outs of blocking of run blocking as an inline tight end. And I have heard that, you know, people think that lucky Lawson was our best blocking tight end anyway. So that's going to be a problem until we get lucky Lawson black. And I suspect that we will see less 12 personnel because of it. Having said that, I think that, you know, some of the run blocking woes will improve as we come back from injuries and as people kind of settle into spots. Ernest Green playing at left tackle in only a second start ever. He had some bad moments. He had some Mm -hmm. moments that I'm sure he wishes he could take back. But, you know, I thought that it got better, right? We were not good at running the ball. I'm not going to pretend that we were like, you know, just shoving it down their throat the way that we should have, but it wasn't quite as much of a embarrassment. I thought as the first game through, I mean, we still had a, I think pretty startlingly bad stopped run rate at 52% at which is 52% of our runs runs went for two yards or less. That's a problem. But outside of that, the run stats were okay. And honestly, okay is fine, right? Like, that's what, like, we were in the 73rd percentile in EPA per rush. That's fine. Like, I, you know, if we can just get it to okay, the rest of the team is good enough that we can go from there. Yeah, this was a game where, I mean, I thought Dylan Bell looked really good as a running back. I don't think that that's his long-term position because I think he'd be too, he's too good as a wide receiver. He needs to be in route patterns, but he had three forced missed tackles on three carries and he had a really good 22 yard running touchdown run. So that's, I think at least proof, proof of concept. Do you have anything else about the offense? I love Dominic. Love it. I think he's fantastic in the first half. At least he's so good in the first half. So a lot of my notes came from the first half because the second half was just, it was, it, it looked the way it should, but the first half was, I felt more worth kind of picking over and trying to figure out like, these are our faults. These are the things that we need to fix. And the second half is sort of like putting it all into place. But 
in the first half, I felt like Dominic Levitt was really cleaning up for Carson Beck. Like Carson Beck was really trying to figure it out and putting what he needed to together in order to actually do his job. Yeah, Dominic Levitt is great. That was my one of my my favorite things from the first half. Another first half hot take was that I if if I were looking at this game and it was just the first half, I would not be particularly confident in Beck's abilities or his like max his ceiling. That is like his ceiling is lower than the past, but uh, than his predecessor, of course. But I feel like that's a very privileged statement considering where we've come from, um, and it feels very unfair to say. But that's just. Again, it's a hot take, um, but I do think he put it all together and, and we're very lucky to have him considering this is the game of four quarters. Uh, also, the first half was just fast, and I, I wonder how much that really contributed to the sort of messiness. It felt fast anyway. I might be totally wrong, but um, feeling was that it was pretty fast, but I think that's that's generally my general feelings on this game. Oh, I did have a, uh, another note about uh, I felt like this ball was overinflated, and that's that's a joke. Just because there were so many bounces <laughs> that we benefited from, lots of tips, lots of bounces, lots of things going on that that really shouldn't be happening. We had, in terms of turnover luck, our expected turnover margin was about positive one, and said we had positive three, so we had about ten points of turnover luck. So you know, if you think about it as UGA thirty five. Ball State 3, I guess that's less good, but still, I don't know if it changes really what I think about the game. I do want to talk about the defense. Can we talk about the defense? Yeah, we should. All right, first of all, I think Malachi Starks is the fucking truth. I think that Malachi Starks is... Oh, this is a big statement. He might be the best pure safety to ever play at Georgia. And I'm trying Jeez. to think, because I might, I might be embarrassing myself, but I just don't know that we've ever had a guy who was as natural and gifted as he is and as big as he is who also just knows how to play the position and it's not just his interception which was admittedly very good he just gets all over the place he is just all over the place back there he has a little roquan in him obviously he doesn't play the same position as roquan but just in terms of his sort of puppy-like ability to chase after the ball you know he's like a it's like a mm-hmm. feral golden retriever going after a tennis ball, dude. I also think Tyke Smith is also really good at the star position. I thought that he really looks good in run. I know that he, I think he also had an interception. I missed it because I was moving the uh I was helping move the front end for halftime, but he Tyke Smith is just really good at playing that sort of nickel star sort of third safety guy position he can play the run really well he just seems to always be around the ball he really plays wide receiver screens well he sheds blocks well we're we're lucky to have both of the ghost dudes back there and like i don't know that our second safety outside of those two guys i don't know that that's like our strongest position on our team but so far it hasn't mattered and i don't know that it will matter that much because those dudes are like top of the line all-american caliber players i think malachi mm-hmm. starks is going to be a Sunday player and an early draft pick. He is he is the truth, dude. Michael Michael Williams also looks really good. I thought a lot of the DT room really starting to come along. It I I don't have all of the numbers pulled, but I pulled up our PFF uh, college stats, their advanced stats, and mm-hmm. just the amount of pressure that we've getting that we're getting out of. So they the PFF has this thing where they talk about like true pass sets, basically where 
like you, your opportunities to pressure the quarterback when he's actually dropping back and it's not just a wide receiver screen or a like a flip pass or a you know jet sweep or whatever. Uh, and our pressure numbers look really good from a lot of these guys. I think that you know we are going to see. I think that our sack numbers might actually kind of be down this year because I don't think many people are going to try to drop back and pass against us, except at the very top of the sport. I think a lot of people are going to do what I think USC is going to do, which is just try to bubble screen and quick game us to death. But I think that we really do have some some serious NFL talent on this defense. Zion Logue also looks really good in the defensive tackle room. Man, I think he is, he's, you know, nobody's Jordan, nobody's going to be Jordan Davis, but he was our second highest rated defensive player versus per PFF. And I thought he looked good all day, just kind of tossing people around. I also thought that, um, I hate to say this out loud, but like Dan Jackson's good, man. Dan Jackson's good. Yeah. He's probably not going to play in the NFL, but like, he's good. He's good at what he does. He played 33 snaps for us and he had a 77 overall grade. He was the third highest rated player per PFF on the team. That's really good. Uh, I think Nylon Green is settling in really well at quarterback. Uh, my 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 old Trojan buddy, my Carrollton alumni, Chaz Chambliss, you know, he had an interception on a carom that was really just he was lucky to be in the right place. But mm-hmm. he also was graded very well. I think he is. I don't know that Chaz Chambliss, he only played for 18 snaps because everybody played a bunch of snaps. But I don't know that Chaz Chambliss is like, you know the next great Georgia NFL player, but I think he's a very, very solid player who will probably go to the NFL. And I think that this defense is just so deep and we're going to find out who like the star is, because I think there is probably a star in here and I suspect it might be my Malachi Starks, but I think we're going to find who the star is, but this is just, this defense is as deep as anyone that we've had in the last couple of years. It lacks the top end name recognition that the glass couple have, but there are, so many future NFL players on this defense, and I think we should all be excited about it. And I think they're going to probably tear Spencer Rattler a new one. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think that we're going to wipe the floor with South Carolina, <laughs> considering how they fared against Furman last week. Uh, but we'll talk about that in our preview episode later this week. I think that's basically it. It was a game. It was definitely a game, and it wasn't a bad one. I enjoyed it. Hey, I will say, one thing about Ball State, great helmets. I saw, really good I saw a couple of them on the sideline. It was a good helmet design. I'm not always a shiny helmet guy. I'm, I'm a well-known Matt helmet guy, but I think that this is a this is a team that, uh, that has good helmets. I thought the red and black was good. I saw their coach mm-hmm. in the post-game press conference when I was taking up. I had to go up to run an errand or whatever, and he's, he's like the, the very prototypical coach. And it was really, it wasn't like sad. It was just funny because like, they had the press conference and all of his local guys were there, but there were only like four of them there who had made the trip. And so the press conference lasted like five minutes while I was standing there waiting for an elevator. And then they all got up and left. And it was like, yeah, not every place is UGA where the press conference is 30 minutes long, dude. I remember one thing that that table of college girls said while we were actually watching the game is I overheard them go. One of them said to the others was like, are their colors the same as ours? And the other one said, yeah. And the other one replied, rude (laughs) as if like it's rude to come into someone else's home their stadium and wear the same colors like white at their wedding i enjoyed it because it was just like between bites of wings like covered in wing sauce (laughs) well 
let's get out of here. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on all the places you can find podcasts, you know, like Apple Podcasts and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast like Spotify. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or email or Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, Instagram, you name it, Blue Sky, by searching Chapel Bell Curve. If you like what you heard today, please give us a rating or a review and uh, just let us let the, let the folks know, let the world know what you think about this thing because that really helps other people learn about it. And if you'd like to support us, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve. It just costs $1 to join a lovely group of folks that is out here listening to the show. They're talking about things, they're talking about football, they're enjoying themselves um, right here on the Patreon. And there are other exclusive benefits to becoming a member as well. We'll catch you this weekend in the Classic City. And until then, in parts unknown, go dogs. Go dogs.